Thanks for listening to the Pro Video Podcast. Weekly insights into everything video. Here's the host, Blair Walker. Hey everyone and welcome to episode 13. This week we've got John Barry from Adobe back on the show to showcase the new features from the 2017 April release. All the cool features that will hopefully make your jobs easier. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Let's go to that conversation now with John Barry from Adobe. Hey John, thanks for joining me again on the Pro Video Podcast. No problem. Thanks for inviting me again, Blair. Today I want to go over the Adobe Pro Video April 2017 updates. There's some significant updates across Audition, Premiere and After Effects. So we're going to cover all of those. Let's start with Premiere. There's some major updates there. The biggest one I'd have to say would be the title tool. It's been a long time coming. What I've seen is a huge improvement in what you can do, and it's a modern title tool now. What's Adobe's thoughts on this? Yeah, the titler tool or the title panel that we had as now is a legacy. It's still in there, by the way. I had a few people over the weekend ask about where it was, and they were a bit upset that we'd got rid of it, and I had to highlight that the original titler is still part of the program. You just need to go through File, New, and then you'll see it in there as one of the items you can create from there. But that that particular titler has been around for a very long time. And one of the major problems we were seeing was that people wanted to create titles in Premiere Pro and then use them as placeholders and then send that over to After Effects. And the codes were not compatible. So you would send over a title as part of your sequence into After Effects and it would come out as just a black blank object there was nothing there none of the text went through and that was a a huge blocker for creativity so the team went back they tried to work out how will we solve this problem and start to create something that could have longer legs than just solving that one issue so it's taken a while but we've got around to it Um, this is the first iteration of the way that we've changed the titling functionality Um, now there's no user interface wrapped around it you have a title tool that's part of the tool palette and you'll see it as the icon is the shape of a t just very similar to what you see if you're familiar with photoshop or illustrator and then uh, you just click with that tool on the user interface of where you are looking at your screen of your footage and you can edit in place and then that one container that sits on the timeline as, an, as a clip asset, that can have multiple pieces inside of it. Um, it's still, I think, got a little bit of maturity to sort of come, but the, the flexibility of it being redesigned is certainly something a lot of people have been waiting for for a long time. Yeah, definitely. The integration with the Essential Graphics panel as well working within Premiere and After Effects, that's a huge update that need to have it accessible over both of those applications. I can see so many um, setups being built from After Effects to utilize in Premiere, but at the same time, you can set up those essential graphics in Premiere and share them through libraries with the rest of the team. That's a massive That's right. update. Yeah, it's a big it's a big workflow increase in that you can use the essential graphics panel, which has sort of been borrowed or or taken the Lumetri style panel that sits on the, the right side. And that's sort of where we've placed it. Obviously, you can put it wherever you like for your workflow, but it's a similar concept where you have this kind of an inspector of what it is you've got selected. So if you select the title, then you'll see that that clip that is the container for all of the title layers, that clip has layer control in there. So you can stack them in the right order. You can create some shapes in the backgrounds as well or have them overlap. And you can create animations in there too using the motion graphics template, the essential graphics panel. The functionality is also inside of the effect controls, but that panel does open it up and make it feel a lot more flexible um, than if you were to go through the detailed views of everything that you see inside of the effects control window. That that panel there is, can get cluttered. So it's yeah. nice to have have that. Plus also, like you were saying, there's, there is also the ability to have a package. So you can create the animation, package that up as a motion graphics template, as a title-based animation that you can share 
amongst your collaborators, either as a file or through the libraries. And that, to make sure things are on brand, it just becomes very, very powerful. Really seen a trend not only with Lumetri and Essential Graphics, but Essential Sound as well. There's been an update where it's empowering those users that might not have a really in-depth knowledge of this area, but it makes it easy and accessible. And then it's a great way to learn how to use these tools by seeing the effects that it happens. And the Essential Sound is a great example of that by learning using these templates that you can easily adjust. Essential Sound also going over to Audition as well. So the changes that you're making in Premiere can then be available inside of Audition. So there's a lot of connection between all of the pro video apps in the suite. Yeah, Essential Sound started in Audition, uh, the last sort of version, and it allowed users to start selecting sort of areas of, of where clips were, say, dialogue, and then start to drag a simple slider that would enhance it. But what the effect was actually doing was applying multiple effects into the effect stack, and then the person who had the skills could go in and deal with the fidelity of having used the the real main tools. So that functionality went into Premiere Pro in this major update. And it also allows the editor to begin something that sounds really good. And if need be, it can go out like that. But if you do have the time, you can then send the entire sequence to Audition and those effects that were used carry through over to Audition, which is incredibly powerful and we're trying as much as we can to create a much more simple way for content to be created fast and with speed we call this content velocity and this is just another component to it Um, it's obviously we're getting a lot of great feedback from putting that into premiere pro because that seems to be where the the real work gets done and some of the time crunch things you don't want to leave that app in order to make it look and sound great yeah uh exactly for the main areas when you're producing video content you need to edit premiere definitely knows how to do that you need to be able to put some graphics on so now with the essential graphics you need color so lumetri has been available in premiere for a number of releases but it's making color grading accessible that it's easy to apply it to any footage and now with the essential sound it's the same thing where so you can get the quality of what you're producing whether it's visuals sound color to a really good standard it's enabling the industry to do more with smaller budgets which is the reality of where everything's going for the majority of people right there's trends within the industry that we can't affect and uh, we just do whatever we can to try to make that process more efficient. Uh, the skill set, obviously, there's a need these days for multiple skills across the board for an editor. I mean, that term editor kind of is losing relevance. It's now someone who's a content creator. They have to be able to have a little bit of Photoshop, a little bit of Illustrator, a little bit of After Effects, a little bit of audio. But these tools can be frightening. They can be scary because they look different. There's a whole different language uh, in use. There's a different way that things operate. And so being able to allow content creators to access things that the professional people that have specialized can then send to them and go, look, I've, I've made this motion graphics template inside of After Effects and I've given you some controls. This is something else that we didn't really sort of go into just before on the essential graphics side, but being able to have a masterful template built in After Effects by a designer and then have components of change, be it the color, be it the position, or even sometimes there's ways they can use algorithm, not algorithm, sorry, um, expressions. expressions. Yeah. Yeah. Use expressions against a slider and then the slider moves and then the content that comes forward, like switches on and off, is changed by the slider. So one package can have multiple versions of looks and styles. Very powerful stuff. Um, but it's, it's making it simple, not simplistic. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make it basic. It gives you that full control. 
of the designer being able to add something that looks unique and is branded to something that doesn't look like the same thing you've seen a hundred times because it's a just a simplistic template. So, yeah, we're, we're doing everything we can to help the industry's need by having one person be able to do a lot of things and have a great product at the end of the day. Yeah, the word that I've been using when I've described it to people is it's making all these features accessible. Let's jump over to After Effects with the Essential Graphics. It's it's a really big update for After Effects to be able to work in somewhere else than the timeline because that's where all the work has been done for a long time. So as an update, the Essential Graphics panel, having the elements that are editable in there really does offer a simplified view for even of those of us who have been using it for a long time. The ability to solo what the supported features are that you can edit is a great, great way of finding out what you can simply drag and drop. But as you say, Mm. adding expressions to link things to sliders, that opens up all of After Effects really, doesn't it? Yeah. You've really sort of raised the point that I wanted to make was that as people start to experiment with this workflow, um, it is important to understand that this is the first cycle of this type of functionality's release. And so we have put in a button that you can hit to solo the parameters that can be drag and dropped into the essential graphics panel as you build out the motion graphics template before you export that out. And so knowing that that switch is there will prevent you from becoming frustrated that you want something to be dragged in and it's not taking. Like, why is this this particular thing not going in? There's some limitations to it. There's still, there's a lot of things that are in there. But um, yeah, this is a really nice sort of way of showing how the longer term view of what we want to be able to do by putting a lot of control by choice at the hands of the editor so they don't need to go into After Effects in order to simply shift the position of the particular graphic or a particular um, size or scaling to do with the text copy that they put in through Premiere because, you know, sometimes you make it and the characters are too long and suddenly you've got something that's shifted a little too far to the right or it's, now it's a little too high. or you, you just need to do that little tweak which before this, they had to go into After Effects, which would frighten them and they might ruin the overall design by mistake. Yeah, just for those of you out there that want to get your hands dirty with it, make sure you hit that solo button that's in there. Um, And then when you export this out, know that when you export this out, it's a self-contained encapsulated file type that has all the elements that you've designed inside of After Effects, meaning we will contain the audio, we will contain any video clips that have been used and any images that have been used as well as all of the expressions and everything else that sort of runs inside the actual After Effects project. That becomes a self-contained thing that you can pass on to someone in Premiere. One thing I do need to highlight about this workflow today is that you do need, as the editor, you do need After Effects on your machine in order for it to unlock the flexibility of being able to make these changes. It doesn't need to be an activated version though. It can be something that is just installed. We just need access to the code. We do have plans to move the code into Premiere later on, but for now, just be aware that if it's not working, it may be because you don't have After Effects actually installed at all. It could be in trial mode. It doesn't matter. We just need access to make the code talk properly. So touching on what you're saying there about the encapsulated After Effects project, that wasn't released this this time around, but it was released in the previous version. So with Adobe, there's real significant infrastructure in rolling something like this out and being version one of it there's some really exciting opportunities to look forward to of where it could go in the future as well so um, I know that you won't tell me <laughs> I'm not going to even ask <laughs> well I can't I can't sort of say much more than what is already out there yeah. um, but you know we and we want feedback we always want feedback that's kind of in the backbone of the company and, and why it's been able to survive the decades that that it has is that it has 
it has its own vision of where things can go, but then it also wants to make sure that we're not leaving behind people that live in the real world that have real problems. So if there's something about what's missing, please let us know through either our Twitter pages or through the social media groups that are out there. There's quite a few that Adobe employees are involved in. Uh, probably one of the major ones that I can highlight, it's a global one on Facebook, is the Moving to Premiere Pro group. That's for serious editors. It's not for basic questions. It's really about how do I do this or just checking in, wouldn't this be great if it could do this, have this extra flexibility? Um, and someone from Adobe will definitely see it there. We do also have a page that's called a, a wish list page where we accept people coming in from the public to provide either bug reports because we always need to know when something's not quite right and we can't test every single condition and then also feature requests so i'll see if i can if i can pass that link on to you yeah i'll put that in the show notes which are attached to every episode um awesome just speaking to that, there has been a little bit of kickback from the community about the releases coming from Adobe and bugs being in there and criticism from people of like, oh, it needs to be tested. I personally know that Adobe does a lot of testing and a lot of um, pre-release testing with people, but any piece of software is going to have bugs that can't be tested in every environment. But Adobe are really committed to testing as thoroughly as possible and not just rushing a release out and that's the whole point of the subscription model they don't have to release a feature do you want to speak to that and yeah i actually want to highlight that there is at the moment of the timing of this recording there has been a particular bug that's come up that's quite a critical bug it's a very nasty nasty bug and adobe as soon as they've found out that it was there um everyone was all hands on deck coders were not let to just sort of have a normal day everyone had to do everything they could to get this extra dot one update so now you'll see 2017.1.1 dot one. so the second dot one there is just to deal with fixes there's no new features and that came out within a, as fast as it could within a, a couple of weeks at the most from our release date of 2017.1.0. The bug, if you haven't heard, has got to do with a new feature that we put in, which has been asked for for a very long time, times out or files reach a certain size in the media cache and then it, we will automatically start to clean up that media cache location. If you use the default it's fine. If you use what we have had for many years as a recommended workflow to move that media cache to a fast separate drive, the problem that we found was that if you moved working files to the same location as that new location, the customized location for your media cache, then those files that you're working on are also cleaned after that time frame or the size of that location reaches the maximum size very nasty bug we're very apologetic that it got through um, sometimes these things happen but when it does we put our hand up we apologize profusely and we've done everything we could to get that bug release out so we've, we've squashed that particular bug so anyone out there that's running 2017.1.0 if you haven't run into the bug that's good news, but you really should update to the 2017.1.1 release because if you did move it or someone else moved it by mistake and there wasn't a very clean way of knowing what's going on, you, you could lose files. Uh, it can be quite nasty. In our production, I don't update our working machines for a bit just to see what does come out in the wash and that's just... A workflow that we've implemented it doesn't mean that we don't have it running but it's not on um, critical projects and and backing up is a really critical part and to be honest all of our rushes all the footage that comes in from shoots get backed up immediately on site and offsite and to tape uh, you know if i didn't have archive tapes i'd be doing it onto hard drives or any means i could so that before it's even on a server it it's in at least two if not three places 
Yeah. I think this is something that we have always sort of had as industry people going back and in, dipping into my past before Adobe, um, the importance of archive and having backups. And this is exactly why it's boring to do, but this is why it's critical to do because when things go and they just, they're gone, you're in a world of pain. So there is a common knowledge amongst broadcasters specifically and those that have been around for a long time to not just simply update because it's it's ready to be updated. Um, you usually wait a little while, you give it three months or so, and unless you specifically need a feature that's going to dramatically change your life around a production, you never, ever, ever, as a rule of thumb, update mid-production. Yeah. Anyone who's listening who's been doing this for a little while will be nodding their heads and shaking, going, yeah, 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 I know. It's just you don't do that. Um <laughs> We do release these bugs, fixes as quickly as we can. We release new features as quick as we can. And I think there's there's probably a good reason to just remind people about that old school way of approaching these update cycles is to just hold off, wait a little bit, see, download it to test it out and check it out, but try not to be on the bleeding edge. I mean, that's the same with phones. People download the latest phone things and there can be problems. I mean, it doesn't matter who the manufacturer is or who the vendor is. Software isn't, and I personally, as someone who works at Adobe, I'm sorry if anyone has run into this problem. We've we've done the best we could to resolve it. And uh, yeah, hopefully people sort of learn a valuable lesson. Um, we don't want to be the cause of those lessons, but sometimes it happens. Okay, let's go back and um, have a look at some of the other features. Thanks for updating us on that. That's really good to understand what's happened there. VR, ambisonic audio, being brought into Premiere. This is a really key indicator that Adobe believes in VR and uh, 360 video workflows in putting this. Yeah, the um, ambisonics audio is a critical part of the VR experience whereby the player and the headset that you're using, the way that you move, it's if you're hearing something on your right and then you turn to your right, it no longer sounds like it's then coming from your right. It sounds like it's coming straight at you. And that's part of the experience of a full experience, immersive experience in VR. And we've started to put in place the ability to export out ambisonic sound so you'll see a bit more around that in the future as well uh, around the mixing and the way that we're able to start working with those files in an editorial sense at the moment it's fairly basic but it, it certainly shows a commitment to the vr space we don't see that space slowing down anytime soon i was traveling for the last week with the creator of metal plugins which are the Skybox. vr 360 yeah, Skybox is one of the products uh, that Metal makes and the kind of customer meetings that I went around with Chris Bobotis, the, the owner of that plugin, uh, the hunger for VR content is kind of, it was a bit of a shock, I have to admit. I knew that it wasn't something that was going to go away and that it had legs and it was evolving into its own space. It wasn't going to replace normal TV. It wasn't going to replace cinema. It created its own niche space where it totally made sense. But I had fully booked week with this guy and it's just amazing how much stuff is being asked for out there to to have these unique experiences. And they're, they're not so much something that people – people. So one of the things that came up at St Kilda Film Festival where we both spoke and then we're on a forum panel where Chris was asked the question, is VR just hype or, or is it sticking around? What you know, What's going on? What have, you, what have you been seeing out there in the industry? And it's certainly not hype and it's certainly not something that necessarily is stuck to – people watching and experiencing through their phones at home. This is mainly being seen as a part of an event experience. So there'll be a launch of a product. And when they have these big parties around that, 
they'll have a bunch of VR sets running around and they'll have this experience there. And that'll be the top quality experience at full resolution with the devices that can can have a great experience there. And then it also goes on places like YouTube or Facebook where you can then watch it on your phone and you can explain to other people, oh, I went and watched this thing. It was amazing. Here, I'll show you. The experience isn't as immersive, but it's growing. So if you think it's going to not grow because of you don't watch it on the phone or you just don't see the phone being the way people do it, that's not where it's growing. It's That's a secondary part of where it is. But yeah, the Ambisonics, we're very proud that the Ambisonics is part of the export settings through uh, H.264 codec. Yeah, and the tools that have been updated in Premiere and previous releases for VR and working with 360 content in both Premiere and After Effects have really enabled a lot, lot more. And what Metal offers with Skybox and After Effects and the plugins that are available through Premiere for working with 360 content really do make it an enjoyable experience and I encourage people to download some of the content from Metal's site and have a play and dip your toe in the water really. Get out there and do some. Yeah, there, there was someone else that was on this panel that we were on from Open Channel, which is a, um, a group that do short courses around video production. And they were very excited about the whole VR space and just it opening up new avenues for work. And some of the people that were part of the forum were saying that as a production companies, they were eager for educators to offer VR as part of what they learn about, even just to the point where they get a sense of what it is. They don't necessarily need to make something, but there's plenty of content out there that allows you to experience it to a certain degree and then understand things like what is equirectangular, um, you know, how does that work? What happens when you want to put something in there as a motion graphics add into the, the experience as well and how that works. Um, how metals plugins allow you to do that and manipulate it in a very fluid kind of way and just having that basic understanding because there's so much work and they do need people that that need to understand how this works in order to continue to grow with with this, the amount of work that's coming in and I, I don't see that slowing down no and I think the uh, I've seen a number of schools and it's definitely on um, the agenda of implementing into courses so I think that that is very much um, in the near future not the not the distant heading back one more thing in Premiere I want to touch on is Adobe Stock and the ability to send from Premiere directly to Adobe Stock Adobe Stock it's really getting some huge momentum and I see that Pond 5 is also accessible now through that as well yeah the stock story has been um Ongoing for a little while now, we acquired a company from Europe called Photolia, and it's been a little bit of work to take the the group of people that have been contributors for Photolia to then you know get new contracts set up as contributors to then go from Photolia to Adobe Stock, and we've been seeing a lot of a lot of uptake and a lot of merging of partners as well. So. We announced a little while ago that we had a partnership with Reuters. So you might not get on-the-day content, but you'll get stuff that's like the next day and stuff that's got a bit of an archive against people that are popular um, within culture right now and things like that. So you've got news-relevant content. Reuters will still keep the stuff that's sort of breaking and and on-the-day but that's great that we've got access to that kind of content coming. I don't think it's it's kicked in just yet. Pond5 have also partnered with us. And so some of their catalog will now become part of what you search when you look inside of Adobe Stock. But as a content creation-based software company, this is the big message we've wanted to have those people know is that we are looking for content creators and we want to make that pathway of creating great content for a stock use and make that as seamless as possible. So in Premiere, as part of the publish tab that's inside of Media Encoder or the export settings, you can use your login as a Adobe contributor and it will just 
push it straight into your Adobe stock account as a contributor. So, you know, we, we see that as the real future of stock content being relevant is that people can use our tools to make it um, and then get it out as quickly as possible, which is that connection point with relevance of time. Totally. And, and today, to be able to diversify how you're making your income by not just doing the projects but also by having a little bit of uh, money coming in from footage that you've shot really really key without having to go through massive workflows to get into the cloud and tagged and whatnot also just wondering what are the minimum requirements for the footage that needs to be put into adobe stock yeah that's a very good question and i should know that off the top of my head i think with the images there is a limited amount of size that it needs so you can't have it less than a certain size as far as resolution goes we do actually have people that will go through the material that you provide there is on the site you'll see there's an faq and it will have all of the parameters of what they want as far as the codec types um, the file sizes the frame rates and things like that what we do have as people that sit there and go through the content is they will check to see whether or not your content is actually of, of good enough quality. I have to put my own hand up and, and admit I've put stuff on there myself and I had an image that I loved and it was a huge image and I thought this is great. It had all the resolution. It, was, it looked fantastic but it actually had a graininess to it which to me I thought was kind of cool. But they caught it and they said, this is too grainy. You've messed with the image, which I had. I'd done some things with it. And I'd boosted some things and said, it's too grainy. We can't accept it. So they have a very high standard for what they will allow through. They don't just accept anything. And there is a process of acceptance as well. Just because you push it up there doesn't mean it's automatically going into the stock library. So anyone who's not yet tried it or tried stock a little while ago and found that the content maybe wasn't of the greatest quality we've been doing a lot of work on making sure that we have quality control around the type of content that's being added in even today i had a creative who was looking for an image and had been using one of the other stock sites i won't name who and they said that that is the level of quality of they needed something that looked like it was of a photographic standard. And I said, have you had a look at Adobe stock? And she's like, no. And then we loaded it up and she's like, wow, this is instantly better. And that's not blowing smoke up. Yep. <laughs> it's literally, <laughs> that's what happened. So I can, even today I did a quick search for something and got some really great results that a high level creative was happy to put forward to a client. Yeah, um, something that I think a lot of people are not fully aware of is for the images side at least today, through the site, uh, you can add a photo that you have and you want to find content that looks like this or has this style to it. You can literally drag and drop an image into the search engine of the Adobe Stock site and it will spit out a whole bunch of stuff that's similar. That's really cool. I showed that the other day and people were like, what? How, what? How long has that been there? That's really cool because people do usually find something somewhere and go, well, this is, this is kind of what I'm looking for and the quality is not very good and then you want to legally use it so you need the rights in order to have access to it as well. Um, so being able to drag and drop stuff like that as part of a machine learning sort of thing that Adobe's doing, uh, we're calling these machine learning processes part of a an overarching thing called Sensei. So you might start hearing a bit more about Sensei as we roll forward, but that type of stuff and content-aware fill, which is another thing that the computer just assesses the image and then fills in the gaps for you, that's all machine learning. And we're, we're adding more machine learning into the algorithms that we use inside of stock to get some incredibly unique, hit-the-mark 
as early as you can, that speed, that content velocity, you need to find the right asset as quickly as possible. So we're doing a lot of work on that side of things too. I think you just blow my mind and probably a lot of listeners too. I didn't know about the image search. That's that's huge because so often you have, oh, I, I did a Google and I found this image. And can we have something that's like, yeah, if I spend about five days looking for something, maybe. <laughs> so going to right. implement that. That's That's awesome. One, yeah, one um, there's also, and this has got nothing to do with the new stuff, it's been around for a little while, but Typekit as well. So if you have been provided something from a client and they used a font and you look at it and you kind of go, I think I know that font, but you're not quite sure. It's a sort of a, it's not some wacky, crazy font. It's a font that you're like, yeah, we just needed to really look, we needed to look pretty much right, maybe not perfect, but we needed to look in that that vicinity of it, the style and they haven't provided you with the font all they've given you is a flattened image and you kind of got to search for the fonts all through your font library what might look right what you can do inside of photoshop is you can go into the type menu and then you can actually create a search for that font by creating a bounding box around the font that's in the flat image and then Typekit will look for its stuff in itself, and if you've got fonts that are on your machine already, it will then highlight what those fonts might be too. And so you get a list of suggested fonts to use. Again, more machine learning. There's just that's something that Adobe is really trying to implement more. So awesome, awesome. Okay, I'm going to bring this back around to the 2017 April release. Let's have a look at After Effects and some of the other features that have been added in this release. One that I know that a lot of people have been asking for After Effects has been scopes. And Lumetri scopes are now in After Effects. Yep. Uh, so scopes inside of After Effects, uh, if you were using something that was provided uh, that we would license, then you would have been using no. the synthetic aperture. Synthetic aperture was kind of a, a whole new user interface that you would have to open up in order to access their scopes. And it wasn't the greatest experience. So since we've been adding in the Lumetri engine into Premiere Pro from SpeedGrade, we've been asked a lot to put those scopes inside of After Effects as well because a lot of people do like to do their color grade inside of After Effects. So yes, in the 2017.1 release, we did add in the scopes to After Effects. Awesome. Um, some higher frame rates have also been um, added, so 120 frames and 240 frames per second and uh, so many ways of capturing high frame rate footage now. Yeah, so that's kind of nice. Um, people usually shoot that way in order to what's called overcrank the uh, frame rate in order to create true frames for really, really nice slow motion. Um, there's not many players out there that will play over 60 frames per second, but there's certainly been a lot of talk over the years that something like 120 frames per second as a player is something people might start experimenting with. And, and things like VR do start to highlight a need for very high frame rates in order to mimic the blur of what happens with your eye as things move through. So, yeah, we've added in some of these new very high frame rates in order to allow people to work with the kind of files that they're able to shoot with these days. I'm thinking of um, some mobile phones that have been used more uh, for shooting, which have higher frame rates, but a big downfall of some of that is sometimes the stability isn't as good as you'd want. So I'm segueing into another feature, <laughs> which is the camera shake de-blur. Yeah, so the camera shake de-blur, you can kind of relate a lot of this to an effect that, well, an effect that we brought into Photoshop a little while ago about being able to de-blur the motion out of a photo that you took and you had a little bit of a breath and you had a slow shutter speed or there was something that was moving in it that just the, there's parts of it that just, it was a long exposure and, and we were able to understand the movement direction and pull the pixels together. 
And that's basically the, the guts of the engine of what you can do, but with video now. So people that are shooting and aren't super stabilized that then want to use the stabilizer the frame looks right but sometimes there's a couple of frames in there or a handful of frames where because of the movement there's now this motion blur and it makes it look like the footage jitters in the middle and so this is where this camera shake de-blur function comes into play and it can make a stabilized shot actually look as crisp and as sharp as it can possibly be so i'm sure there's some of you out there that have shot something and gone oh we'll just use the the uh, stabilizer on that no worries warp stabilize and then you look at it and go oh it does this horrible wobble thing in there or shake thing we actually can't use it this is another tool that allows you to just tr try and push it a little more and see if you can actually make use of, of a shot that otherwise would get thrown out yeah i've had that on a few productions warp stabilizing footage and not being able to include it in the cut because of that so it doesn't happen often because it, you know we try and shoot it properly and the gear that's been used but the content in the frame is really good but the camera movement isn't what you're wanting at that point so all of these tools just allow us to use what we've got making our lives easier which is the main goal which i really like i was just going to say well something else that we've started to increase inside of after effects is some of the effects or more of the effects are gpu accelerated so we've we've finally been able to put in the architecture around gpu acceleration with after effects looking forward you'll really start to see with a, maybe the next release you'll see a massive jump in speed so there's certain effects and doing things with the scopes you'll be able to make changes and you'll get instant feedback um so things like the levels you'll be able to change the controllers on that and it'll it'll adjust and and show you in real time uh some of the blurs as well so gaussian blur which is very popular that one will respond very quickly inside of after effects as well and the sharpen as well was one, another sharpen as well effect. yeah so as soon as you, you start pulling the slider and you want to see the reaction in real time and and that's something that we've added some more to the list they're not all in there but we're certainly focusing a lot on that and the speed improvements have been obvious to me as a user i've noticed it in the latest releases of after effects so every release now is a little bit of a what easter egg of gpu acceleration will be in this release so i'll be looking yeah. forward to the next one one last thing in After Effects, it's a small thing, but these small things can be quite big for some of us. The solid folder. Everyone will know the solid folder. And so you're, not, you're yes. able to rename it now and nest it and change it. It feels like um, an old friend has had a facelift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the solid folder. Yeah, I guess people that start to do more advanced things around using solids um, one of the things I would used to do with when I was still in production I would use solids to create mask uh, wipes and I'd do these customized shapes and that would be kind of part of what I would do and every time I'd make these things up I'd just start getting this this thing that was not just solids the solids had a reason why I was using them and so I wanted to be able to control the naming of that convention inside of the project panel. So yeah, you're right. It's it's a little thing, but sometimes it's the little things that have a big impact because it helps make things make more sense, um, especially if you're passing on a project onto someone else. Everything has got its name, it's labeled, there's a purpose behind all that. And so adding that in, um, we still listen to not just the big things, but the little things like this that can have a big impact. It's, uh, I'm yeah. glad you noticed it. Not many people have probably picked up on that one. Um, another, another thing inside of Audition, a little thing, is the visual keyboard. So creating shortcuts through the visual keyboard is in there now too. Yeah, so we brought that into Premiere Pro with 2017.0, the very first um, major release uh, of 2017. So Premiere Pro users have wanted a keyboard GUI in order to, you know, see what keyboard 
shortcuts have been assigned to where on the keyboard and when you touch that key on the keyboard it highlights then and reconfigures itself to show you all of the different parameters that are attached to that key or that keyboard combination so that function within assigning keyboard shortcuts has gone into audition audition is getting a lot of attention from adobe so those of you who are familiar with it you'll be very happy with the forward uh, planning on that. Those of you who haven't used it much but use a different door, a different um, digital audio workstation tool, you might want to start looking at it because there's some things that are starting to come in that if Premiere is the hub of the creative editorial process and you're going out to another audio door, you're probably not as efficient as you could be if you were familiar with Audition. And the focus that we put on Premiere Pro some years ago, and you see, you've seen how Premiere Pro has developed as a tool, we're starting to put a lot of that focus onto Audition now as well. So that tool is going to become a very much needed and understood part of the overall production, post-production process. Yeah. A big feature that was added to this release is uh, multi-channel audio workflows as well. That's a significant one for professional productions. Yeah, so we were bringing in MXF files tend to have a lot of these um, multi-channel audio channels. So it's contained in one container, but then there's actually multiple things going on with each channel inside of that MXF uh, file. And now we've added the ability to drag a, a single contained clip that has say eight or 16 tracks of audio each track doing something on its own and instead of bringing it in and it still be a self-contained one clip we can break out all of those components into their own clips within a multi-track and that gives you real fidelity to get in and start to do real mastering real mixing so yeah, little things like that is sort of we're starting to showcase a little bit of where we're going and how serious we're taking audio as part of the um, part of the process of creating great high quality content. I've been really pleased with all the areas of content creation and what Adobe have been bringing, adding value to each of these areas over the past releases. It's a tool that can be used at every level of production. I'm just always excited to see what is added at each release, especially as this computational um, algorithms start making huge impacts and making the content that we're creating um, more valuable or saving some that previously wouldn't be. I think it's a great release and check it out. But also before we wrap up, you have been working at Adobe for some time now, but you're someone who has had a lot of time in production yourself and you've been in the trenches. Do you mind sort of sharing with the audience your background and now what your role is for Adobe? In September, I'll be coming up to six years at Adobe. Uh, so where does that leave me now? About five and a half years in, maybe a tiny bit more than that uh, now that we're almost in June. My goodness, we're almost in June. Start planning Christmas. <laughs> Holy moly. Uh, so, yeah, six years there. In the last, probably the last six months, though, I did have a role change. When I started at Adobe, I was what we call a solutions consultant, which is part of the pre-sales process. So it is part of um, making sure that customers understand what they need and then present to them what will help them and then that adds the value of what they will buy. Now, um, I'm a strategic development manager, so I have more of a, a measurement of my performance is, is around working with someone like yourself to make sure that people are aware of what's going on outside of just customer meetings. So doing this type of stuff with you is, is great. That's exactly what I should be doing. Plus, getting feedback and making sure that our product teams are doing the right thing and going in the right direction and finding the right type of people for our beta teams. Um, we, we always, we need people on the beta teams, but we also need people that are going to have the time to test the tools and provide feedback and 
So, you know, that's, that's a selective process and that's one of my uh, KPIs or key performance indicators is to, to help provide that too. Um, we also most recently have decided to focus in on a, a longer term thing around non-media and entertainment uh, customers that are getting into video. There's a great overlap and connection to creators that are specific to media and entertainment, but we also want to make sure that we're providing some tools for those that are wanting to just tell stories through video and they're not video experts. So that's something that as the strategic development manager for Australia, New Zealand, and I'm starting to grow my role into Asia Pacific, we want to make sure that if we plan out something like that, we, we do it the right way and we do it from feedback from people on the ground. So that's sort of a difference between where I was really focused on sales and now I'm focused on the long-term strategy. Before that though, I was in production and that's definitely become a, a major reason why I was hired by Adobe in the first place. Every person that's on the video team globally has got post-production experience and that's not by accident. So before I came to Adobe, I'd been working professionally. And when I say professionally, I mean I was getting paid for video jobs. And that started back in 98, 99, somewhere around there. So I've been going nearly 20 years paid. Before that, I was doing stuff and I wasn't getting paid. I'd do it for free just so I could get the experience and so I could build my contact list of who'd be like, oh, okay, actually, you did a good job last time. You know what? We'll actually pay you for this this time. So really, I've actually been touching the tools and doing things for over 20 years, but professionally, it's been about 18, 19 years. And I've gone through shooting, editing, a bit of directing, uh, producing, audio, color grading, uh, writing. You know, I've I've gone across the board and that's certainly back then that made me a better creator of whatever medium I was focusing on at the time. I ended up focusing mostly on shooting and editing with a bit of motion graphics and the audio and then the, the color grading and I just sort of saw that as the whole, they all interconnected. So anyone who's out there that's sort of new to this game and they have ideas of focusing in on I'm just going to become an editor and even some some people that are out there have been there, out there for a while who want to just edit they don't want to know anything about motion graphics and after effects or even the audio side those days of being able to get away with just being an editor they they're slipping away very quickly um, back when I was working I was known to be a, a sort of a one-man army because I had this Swiss army knife of skill sets that I'd built up over the years. And that was incredibly abnormal. That was very uncommon. I think I knew amongst, amongst all of the people I knew in Melbourne that were part of production or post-production, there were probably three of us at the time that could do more than one skill and be masterful at those multiple skills as well. Nowadays, you'd really need to, at the very least, have some skill and appreciate how they overlap. Um, so that's something that, yeah, I, I always try to keep my hands on the tools. Um, I try to just at least make my own little production sometimes if I've got time, which <laughs> is becoming less and less these days. I will work with some of my friends that are still in production and I'll, I'll cut together something for them. I think it was mid last year, about this time last year, I did cut a pilot for a kid's series, which got picked up to a certain degree. Then there was a co-production thing and now there's development going on with the concept with another production. So the work that was done on that isn't necessarily going to be produced through my producer friend, but she's now collaborating with another production company and they're sharing how they can make that idea a reality. So I'd like to stay in touch with the tools, but there's so much going on. It's very hard to stay in touch without that being my paid job. Yeah, something but, that I really appreciate is how much you stay in touch with the community as well. 
And that's how I've really gotten to know you closely is through the online communities on Facebook, the Facebook groups that you set up and that I've been an, an admin for. So that's the Adobe Pro Video User Group for Australia and New Zealand. And now in um, Asia, there's another one. So if people are looking for those, that's uh, APVUGNZ or OZ or SG. So yep. yeah, and the SG, SG is for Singapore. So I've tried to abbreviate the uh, the region for where there's a focus. And like you said, um, the community piece has always been something that I've personally been connected to through my entire career within the industry. So even when I was not getting paid work, I was connected to a group that was called Green Films, and that was made by a bunch of highly motivated young producers, directors, and and filmmakers that wanted to have a group that could invite people from industry to come and speak about their experience. And we had – we were really green. Like we really didn't know much, but we were hungry for knowledge. And so we created this group in order to invite the people and start making contacts and network into the industry because – there was no other avenue back then. And so I, after that, I got involved with the Producers and Directors Guild of Victoria, which is eventually shut down over time because the online stuff started to become a thing. The Producers and Directors Guild of Victoria was the backbone of what's now known as Film Victoria. They kind of started that whole government body and they were, an, again, an innovative group. Fred Skepsi, who's a very well-known director uh, in Hollywood, started back then and was one of the one of the people that started that group so i've always been very hungry for knowledge and i've appreciated that when i had that hunger i was able to find the information and networking into people that were from industry and then as i've matured through my career i'm very very much aware of giving back like that too and you're very much the same you know you've been I mean, this, this, what you're doing now, this podcast, this is another example of you giving back to the community. And I think we'd need to be a bit more conscious of the importance of that. And if you've got knowledge to share, then do everything you can to share it. It's, it's not this, I need to hide my intellectual property kind of days anymore. It's about collaboration. There's more fragmented type of work out there. And we can't do it all and we need to have collaborators and having an online community gives us a world of a, literally a world potential employee audience. So, yeah, if you're listening to this and you haven't yet got online to be part of these groups, then go out there. There's plenty of them. Like Blair just said, the Adobe Pro Video User Group for Australia, there's another one for New Zealand, another one for Singapore, which is the beginnings of the Southeast Asia group um there's job postings that go up there there's people uh sharing their problems and then other people jump in and share the solutions because they've faced that problem before i am always very conscious of being able to share what's going on and um and then when there's problems as well i want to know when there's problems so yeah i'll put the links um on this episode so if you're listening have a look um on the show notes but they'll also be on their website which is provideopodcast.com all the shows there have all the show notes as well completely agree with you john it's about signing into these groups and also contributing asking the questions it's no question is too small or stupid it's we all started with zero knowledge we, and we've all grown from there by sharing and that's why I, I want to be a part of this is to there's no point all this stuff in my head I'd rather pass it on and help someone else get to where they're trying to get as fast as possible and selfishly I just want a really strong community because the stronger our community is the more opportunities there are for everyone so it's the rising tide lifts all boats mentality and I truly believe that's real cool thanks for inviting me back this has been really good. Yeah, all the success to you with this podcast as well. I'm I'm so proud of you for you know adding another thing in, and you know I hope you're not burning yourself out because you you do a lot. And uh, anyone I've ever mentioned your name to, and they are familiar with you, 
they've all had the same reaction. Very positive, very much like, wow, what a powerhouse. This guy just constantly doing stuff. It's almost like this guy doesn't sleep. But I know you have kids and uh, I know that, that sleep is important when you have kids because I've got my own as well. Yeah. So make sure you sleep, mate. Um, <laughs> because I, I if, will, you're around, <laughs> if you're not around, if you're not around because you're sick or whatever, then, you know, um, the community's less less better off so yeah, take care of yourself i will i will it's 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 tricky to get that balance but i'm, I'm managing a you know, supportive wife and you know balance and spending time with the family and that soccer on the saturday mornings and at the parks on sunday afternoons you've got to do that and um book and book and where you can i think it's utilizing the time that you do have as much as possible i'm on facebook but i'm doing it in a constructive way <laughs> right okay yeah, yeah. And that's that's true i've seen that a lot yeah yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, John, um, JB, for joining me again on the show. And I really look forward to having you on lots of future episodes. So thank you, mate. No worries. Thank you. If you could rate and review this podcast on iTunes, I'd really be grateful. Thanks to worldpodcast.com for supporting and hosting the show. Check out all the other great podcasts that are on that network. We've got Fearless Kitchen, Stupid Questions for Scientists, and also the Social Media Strategy Podcast. I've really been enjoying that one lately myself. Definitely worth a good listen. All right, everyone, have a great week. I'll catch you next time. Bye.